bitches. It's Nerdgas, and what the fuck you want? We back in this piece, and we are doing another debut. Should have been a triple threat. You know what happened? One guy couldn't make it, so we said, we're going to do the Joker thing. We're going to break a pole cue, throw him in a room, and see who fights to the death. We only got one opening here on Nerdgasm, and we're going to see who wins. Thomas Scully, Joe Harrison, it's going to be great. But I am your lead judge host tonight which is a mistake caleb coho uh and with me not as always is uh caleb boatman i think we've become a joined at the hip uh and also cody newberry here to make sure that i don't say sup bitches again uh so we're gonna go to uh boatman first boatman uh how you feel about the match and are you excited uh i have met neither of these people ever in my life <laughs> I don't know who either of these two are, especially uh, Time Timmy Timmy Skullsberger. I believe that is his name. Uh, he probably he probably sucked at Lord of the Rings, but that's okay. Uh, and the other guy is Joe, and uh, he he looks like a cabbage patch kid, and that's okay. Well, uh, I love that you just throw him under the bus is the one that sucks at middle earth okay uh we're gonna we're gonna go to cody uh are you excited for this match and are you regretting me being the lead judge already uh i'm just glad i'm just here so i don't get fined um basically i will i one of us has to be here to run it um i just got off work i thought i was the one that was not going to be in the clear headspace but apparently i am the one that's the most clear uh, than the other two that's what happens when you're 19 and you're uh, an idiot um so basically it's going to be a fun match uh i know both of these as competitors through the league i don't know them actually very personally they judge matches of mine um and they've also uh um uh seen them debate and play trivia so Hopefully they don't uh, disappoint me. Hopefully they do a good job in the overall match, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, dope. So we're gonna go to the self to the one that Cody says is the best nickname in the fan leagues, the Warhawk Thomas Scully. Uh, welcome to Nerdgasm. Are you ready to debate? Are you excited uh, to go? I, I I mean I guess I mean you know Brooklyn messaged me like two weeks ago and says hey you want to be a nerdgasm we have an opening I'm like all right fuck it let's go let's uh let's fuck shit up I guess um but I'm playing Joe this will be a a fun debate uh, we um I, I think I think the answers we chose are 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 pretty similar so we're gonna have a fun debate we got three three great categories here bunch of good impartial judges up here on the panel so what could go wrong. 100%. Joe Harrison, welcome to Nerdgasm. Are you ready to debate, and are you excited? I completely forgot I signed up for Nerdgasm until I got put into the green room, and then I was like, all right, let's do this thing. Uh, Thomas is a cool guy. We both have very, uh, like he said, similar answers, so it's really going to come down to who's going to debate better, so I'm excited to see what happens. All right, guys, your first question, your first round of prep fight debate is in the category of Fox Animation, and your question is, what is the best episode of Family Guy? Cody already went over the rules for you, so we will go ahead and start with Joe for your opening as soon as you are ready. So the episode I chose is 
season eight, episode one, Road to the Multiverse. Uh, it's probably one of the best. It is the best Road to miniseries episodes. And it just, it's a great start to a season. And you get to kind of really see what Seth MacFarlane can do creatively with all the different universes that you get to see these characters go through with the Disney universe and the universe where Christianity never happened. And you see these form of advancements and you even get to see hot Meg in that universe. And you kind of really get to see what Stewie and Brian really want as characters within this episode. And you, it really solidifies the relationship that we've been seeing going forward so far. And it really solidifies that they're not just road trip buddies because they both really can understand and see where the other is coming from. And you just get to really enjoy these two characters kind of figuring out like what even is the multiverse and multiverse theory and everything. Everything like that, and I will explain more in the main round. Dope. All right, Thomas. Yeah. Uh, time begins when you start talking for your opening. All right. Okay. So, the Family Guy episode that I chose is another season premiere, and it's called "And Then There Were Fewer." It was the uh, first episode of the ninth season of Family Guy. It's basically known as the James Woods murder mystery episode. Now, yes, Joe has a great episode. He has one of the best row two episodes. But this episode, the James Woods Who Done It Murder Mystery episode, is the best Family Guy episode. It's an hour long Who Done It about the murder of James Woods, arguably the most despicable character in Family Guy history. And all these side characters, all the main characters from all the Family Guy episodes, are coming together and have all their cool little storylines, all their side stories, all come together uh, in, in, uh, in in one place. And I hope to explain that more and uh, convince you why that is the best Family Guy episode. All right, so open forum, uh, time begins to start talking. So I think the, my issue, the big issue with, and then there were fewer, is it's kind of just like a way to kill off some characters so that way they don't really have to bring these characters back any anymore is kind of how I see it. Like, yes, like James Woods needed to die because he was despicable, nobody liked him, but did we really need an hour-long episode to explain that? I really don't think we did. To me, it was more about, that episode was more about showing off the new opening with the opening being in HD than it was really setting up the episode itself. With, with my episode, you really kind of get to see a really interesting and cool episode that features two characters that we love and doing something that we really get to see into the creative mind of Seth MacFarlane. Well, that's all well and good, but my episode isn't just known for having James Woods in it, for just having James Woods murder. You have all, you have all the, the, the great main characters coming back into this episode like Glenn Quagmire. Glenn Quagmire, he's the guy you love, he's the guy you hate, he's the horned up, sex-crazed, sexual deviant that you just love to hate. And in this episode, he's seen more mortal. He has this new girlfriend who you think you you would normally see him with, and he's so embarrassed because he's going to this party hosted by James Woods. He doesn't think anybody's going to see him there. Instead, all his friends, all his acquaintances, they're there to see him. And that awkwardness of Quagmire being there just makes it so much better. Yes, Road to the Multiverse has all these different multiverses, but the big problem with it is it's just it ends up being just a classic Brian and Stewie Road to episode. And those episodes are not the best Family Guy episodes ever because to me, the best Family Guy episode, you have to have all the main characters. You have to have Peter, Lois, Brian, Stewie, Chris, Meg, and a bunch of the side characters involved. That way, all these stories, all these uh, it, all the characteristics of all the characters can come together and they can mesh beautifully like they do. And, and then they were fewer. 
you don't really need a, the best, all of the characters in order for it to be the best episode. Some of the best episodes and TV shows are when they can really focus on specific characters, which is what Road to the Multiverse really gets to do with Brian and Stewie, especially when we get to the last universe they go to in which dogs are in control of humans, and we really get to see how Brian's just like, I cannot be a somebody in our universe, but I can be a somebody here. And seeing that really Brian is going to get what he wants, but at the end when Stewie is able to convince him that it's better for them to go back to their own universe and Brian understands that he doesn't need to be a somebody as long as he's somebody to Stewie his best friend is so beautiful and it's so amazing that you get to see it in this episode and with and then there are fewer yes it's a great episode but it kind of becomes scattered with who it really wants to focus on and even in an hour that it can't because it can't really get to focus on any one specific character because it has to do all these plots lines that just ends in the whole oh diane wanted to kill james woods because she because he was going to ruin her career and we kill off diane for no reason other than she needs other other than lois can't die and stewie is just like if anyone's going to kill that bitch it's going to be me but that's exactly how why that ending is. It, it makes it one of the best. It makes it the best episode ever because it has that callback to Lois kills Stewie. Because after the Lois kills Stewie, and the Stewie kills Lois episodes, Stewie's uh, desire to kill Lois just sort of went away. It was awesome to see how how the Stewie kills Lois storyline pops back up when Stewie snipes uh, Diane from so far away. He says, "If anybody's going to kill that bitch, it's going to be me." That way, you have that callback all the way back to season six. When Stewie ended up killing Lois, it's only simply a a better story because within Road to the Multiverse, you kind of you get these moments where Brian and Stewie, their relationship is is fortified and it continues growing throughout the seasons. With the Stewie callback, yes, it's simply that it's a callback. Within the later seasons, even going from season nine forward, it really doesn't call back. So it can't. So if you say that's what makes it the best episode, is it's a callback? A callback can make a great episode, but a callback is not what makes the best episode. What makes Road to the Multiverse the best episode is you get to really see these different iterations of what these possible universes could be, and you get to see the creative mind of Seth MacFarlane really flourish, especially within the Disney universe with It's a Wonderful day for pie and just how he's able to use this full 72 piece orchestra and how he just is his love for music and showmanship is coming through in that episode and you really don't get that with with and then there were fewer you get a cool whodunit mystery but that's just it. it's a cool whodunit mystery but with roll to the multiverse you get a focused story that explores who brian and stewie are as characters what these different universes mean to them and what they all enjoy about them and when they were just like oh we could stay in this universe but to see the fatal flaws because it's meta on seth mcfarland's just like there are flaws in everything and i will let you continue well the thing is is that you can get those beautiful brian and stewie moments in almost any road to uh episode you have you have road to vegas road to germany uh, uh road to india all those road to episodes have these warm fuzzy brian and stewie moments and then at the very end of road to the first they introduce the alternate brian and stewie and then they bring human brian back into the universe so yeah it sets up this cool uh, extra character Fima Brian, and then what do they do? They run him over with the truck as if he's nothing at, at all. They sort of throw his character away as as a cop out to just sort of close out that storyline. It's 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 it's, it's really it's it, it's a it's really a, it's a bad ending. It, One minute. It, it just feels like uh it feels like a cop out to just close out that storyline to just throw away that character after setting him up to show Brian what like that his life would be better in his universe. 
So they do the same thing with yours. It's a cop-out ending with killing Diane by being like she was the whole purpose for it. It would have been cool if they had just, you know, had been just like, we really don't know who it is and maybe been able to call back to that and have a future callback. There are, and saying that my ending is a, is a cop-out is the same, you can say the same thing about yours because all your ending has is a callback to, to Stewie wanting to kill Lois, which fans had been, which is a cop-out to fans calling back to, oh, why doesn't Stewie want to kill Lois anymore? Why doesn't Stewie want to kill Lois anymore? It's a simple cop-out callback answer, and you really don't even need an hour to do the whole story of, and then there were fewer except for all of the deaths that they want to do. It's a very simple setup that you could have done in a 22-minute episode just as well, if not better. But with mine, Diane was never supposed to be this this integral character. When they introduce human Brian, he's supposed to show Time. Brian how his life is going to be better. Okay. Time. All right. So we'll go into closing, starting with Joe. Uh, your closing begins when you start talking. So while you do bring up a really good, solid episode with And Then There Were Fewer, it's simply a bunch of killed and callbacks that is just pretty much meant to set up this whole new stylization of Family Guy that we get to see in further episodes. And it's a story that really didn't need to be an hour long because if they had just fewer, a few more, a few less kills and been able to really kind of tighten the story and figure out what they want to do. And that's the whole thing is you get a tighter knit story within 22 minutes that crosses multiple universes within my episode. And within this episode, you really get to see Brian and Stewie kind of figure out like, oh, like, what do we like and what do we not like about different universes? And yes, killing human Brian at the end, it's not really a cop-out answer. What it is, is showing that, Brian, that just because your life is so great in one universe, it doesn't mean that in another universe, something random can't happen to you and just take you out in an instant. It's kind of, to me, what it says is it shows that it could have happened to, that exact same thing could have happened to Brian in human Brian's universe. And time for me. Okay, well, now it's time. Um, all right, uh, Thomas, your closing begins whenever you start talking. And then there were fewer is hands down the best Family Guy episode. Yes, there are a lot of deaths in there. And, you know, Joe jo alluded to these deaths are meaningless. They're cop-outs in themselves. They're, they're, real, they're really not, though. The real cop-out is in Road to the Multiverse. When you had Human Brian, who was set up as this beautiful uh, mirror of what Brian really is, and then, and, and then they just kill him off. Kill him off. And, and then there were fewer. You need that hour-long episode to, to fulfill all these storylines, all fill the storylines of all the main and all the side characters who come in, they mesh with each other very well. You see all the old storylines of, of Chris and Herbert clashing, Peter and Joe clashing, Quagmire and, 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 and the girl he just banged clashing. And you have Tom Tucker, a fan favorite side character being sort of picked, uh, uh, posted as the culprit when he really wasn't the culprit. So it brings a lot more depth to his character. Um, and that's, I'll concede the uh, remainder of my time. Okay. All right. So we'll go ahead and we will get uh, rulings starting with Boatman, where you leaning and why. This is this was kind of close for me. And it was also a little confusing because I don't watch Family Guy. So I only understood about half of it, but I understood the basic stuff. And, uh, I'm actually moving towards Joe here. I think Joe uh, made his episode sound more interesting and more uh, dynamic. And then uh, they both kind of hit on the, the cop-out argument. They kind of canceled each other out for me. Uh, I think the other thing was uh, the whole thing about, oh, it's just an excuse to kill James Wood. So uh, that kind of edged out for me. So I think I'm going to give it to Joe. 
All right, so one point to Joe. We're going to go over to Cody. Uh, what's your ruling and why? Um, so I felt like the clip of that old guy with the water hose and says, I don't know what the fuck is going on here. And that's how I felt the entire fight. I don't know what the hell. I don't think they argued the question, honestly. I think they just argued about Family Guy. And it, like, led a bunch of different paths to Family Guy things. And what Seth MacFarlane does, one's a cop-out, one's not a cop-out. I had no idea. The one that painted the story of the episode best was Joe. And, I mean, he picked the category, so probably that's why. But I don't think they both argued the question well at all. But, yeah, Joe gets my point just because I understood some words. Some. All all right. Well, I haven't heard the name Cop Out so much as the year 2010 when Kevin Smith made a movie called Cop Out. But we're going to move along now. Joe gets the first point Ooh. as we get into the second question, which is in the category of the MCU. And your question is, what Phase 4 MCU movie should people be most excited for? Um, Thomas, you're going to go first on this one. Time begins when you start talking. So Phase 4 is, is, is going to be probably one of the best phases that M the MCU has ever created. And, and without a doubt, the mo most excited, most exciting movie of this new Phase 4 slate is hands down Doctor Strange 2 or Doctor Strange and the, mad and the Multiverse of Madness. This movie is going to be phenomenal. Not only are you going to bring back Benedict Cumberbatch and B.D. Wong, who have phenomenal chemistry on screen whenever those two are together, but you're introducing Scarlet Witch probably the most badass Avenger coming out of phase three. You also have these, these bigger Gothic horror elements that are going to come from Scott Derrickson. You see movies like Sinister, Deliver, Deliver Us From Evil. Those are very enjoyable horror movies. So if you want to see those Gothic horror elements infused with the mystical arts of the powers of Doctor Strange, hands down, the most excited uh, MC, the most excited MCU film of phase four is hands down Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And I'll see the rest of my time. All right. All right, so Joe, time begins. You start talking for your opening. So I picked The Eternals, and the reason I picked The Eternals is just not even looking at its cast, which has Camille Nanjiani, Angelina Jolie, uh, Kit Harrington, just to name a few. It's the fact that you get to really see that these people who are larger than life, these cosmic gods kind of having to figure out what who where they fit in in this universe because as while many people could say oh it's going to be a boring movie because they're godlike characters with powers no because that's what really gets excited because while we've been able to see ground level avengers take on cosmic threats and a few cosmic level avengers with with the powers of thor and hulk and to an extent star lord when he is fused when he has the power when he learns about his heritage with ego the ability to have this broad and expansive cast of characters that you can really kind of dive into and figure out what really cosmic level superheroes would be in this universe besides just the handful you have and figuring them all out in one movie, which we have seen done well with multiple characters being introduced in one movie in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's an exciting thing that can be done again. And I'll concede the rest of my time. Okay, five-minute freeform begins so you guys start talking. Now, granted, Eternals does sound exciting. Angelina Jolie, Camille Nanjiani, sign me up for that. But the problem is we don't know a whole lot about it. So I don't know what I'm supposed to be excited for. New celestial gods potentially before the creation of time itself. I, I, I don't know what to do with this information. With Doctor Strange 2, we're getting a character that we already know and love in Stephen Strange. We're getting back B.D. Wong, who I think is one of the best supporting characters in the MCU, 
playing Wong. You also you're also getting Elizabeth Olsen back as Scarlet Witch. And here's an interesting nugget: not only will Scarlet Witch be in this, but this is going to tie into one of the uh, uh, Disney Plus series, WandaVision. This will be the first time that a TV show has directly shoehorned in to uh, an MCU movie. So seeing WandaVision and then and then going off and seeing Doctor Strange two, that 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 is going to be such a spectacle for MCU fans to watch. They, they won't even know what to do with that information because they'll be so excited. So the thing with you say with having these new celestial gods potentially before God himself and that mystery means that you don't really have enough information to be excited for. I think that's actually what makes it exciting to me is because when you have this kind of mystery about these characters, who they are, where they're coming from, what are their powers, what is their relationship to each other, that is what really gets you excited for movies. And we see people when Guardians of the Galaxy, people got excited for that and these were obscure characters that people really didn't know about and for that and yes as you were saying a direct tie-in to a disney plus series while it's cool that's not really something for me to get excited for because in my mind it's just oh they just want you to get a disney plus subscription why should i be excited for corporate synergy corporate synergy doesn't really get me excited it just means that marvel and disney know how to make you to know how to get your money from you because of tying stuff into each other well, now you brought up Guardians of the Galaxy. In Guardians of the Galaxy, they were complete unknowns uh, when, when that movie was announced. But at least with Guardians of the Galaxy, in 2013, when the film was announced, you knew where the MCU was headed. You had Thanos in that post credit scene of Avengers. You knew that they were going to go to the cosmos at some point. With the with the Eternals, again, you don't really don't know where it's going. You don't know where the MCU is going to expand to next. Now, you want to talk about MCU expansion? Talk about how Doctor Strange is going to basically reinvent how 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 solo superhero movies are going to be made here in phase four and five and going forward you have scott derrickson who's going to put his own creative elements into this movie those gothic core elements like you see in sinister like you see in deliver us from evil this is going to continue a trend where you have directors and storytellers infusing more of these subgenres into their movies like you saw in winter soldier that that's more the that's more sort of sort of the spy thriller movie you have ant-man the more heist movie that trend is going to continue with dr strange too and also you want to talk about continuing trends you're having another hero like scarlet witch being infused into this uh into the into a solo mcu film remember captain america the winter soldier when they had falcon and black widow in there their performances elevated that movie to a whole nother level so you're going to get the captain america winter soldier of phase four in Doctor Strange 2 because you're not only having Doctor Strange, not only having Wong in there, but you're having Scarlet Witch as that extra added hero from the Avengers to to uh, to make that story more complex because with Gothic Horror, Gothic Horror and Scarlet Witch, sign me up. You want to talk about how not knowing what's going to happen creates excitement? I have no idea what's going to happen when you have Scarlet Witch and, and uh, Elizabeth Olsen playing her with those Gothic Horror elements. I am psyched for Doctor Strange. The thing is, you're not going to really be able to get those Gothic Horror elements, and that's what really doesn't make me excited. I know Scott Derrickson's work. I like him as a horror director, but the fact is, Kevin Feige said this is going to be a PG-13 movie, and Scott Derrickson's Gothic Horror elements really shine and show through in a rated R setting, so it's really going to be hard for people to get really excited for a movie that's going to just be like, we're a Gothic Horror movie, and then have a director who's more suited for rated R stuff. And the fact is, yes, those performances, while they elevated while they elevated the Winter Soldier, they're not what made people excited for the Winter Soldier. No one went into Winter Soldier ex excited for Black Widow and Falcon showing up. They were excited because they could see Captain America kicking ass and taking names and being a step up from the first Avenger. Those One minute. while they elevated it are not what makes you excited for that movie. 
But what's exciting is that this trend is continuing where you have more solo superheroes coming into these solo films and you're creating these mini team-ups. Now, granted, not the majority of the population, they didn't go to Winter Soldier to see Falcon and, 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 and Black Widow come into it, but they were such exciting side pieces that Winter Soldier was such an in, in, insatiable, irresistible product that they had to go see those three superheroes together on the big street. And that's exactly what is going to happen to Doctor Strange too. Because if you have, when you have the mystical powers of Doctor Strange and the powers that Scarlet Witch had, Scarlet Witch nearly crushed Thanos without even trying. So putting her into this Scott Derrickson saying, and by the way, Scott Derrickson, PG-13, don't knock it till you try it. We haven't seen Scott Derrickson in that vicinity before. So uh, I, I'm super excited for it. I think he'll flourish well with it. And Doctor Strange 2 is hands down going to be the most exciting film of Phase 4. Time. Uh, so uh, we'll get into closings, uh, starting with Joe. So the thing is, while you say, uh, while the movie could have exciting elements, that really isn't going to tell me why I should be excited for it. What you really brought up was stuff that was exciting in the movie, not stuff to get you excited for it with these performances of Scarlet Witch. And when you tie it back in with the Falcon and Black Widow, those were exciting pieces of the movie, but they're not what got people excited. And when you even brought in the whole, the Disney plus element tying in, that's just corporate synergy, smart marketing and smart tying into each other. That's not really something to get excited for because Disney has a smart business model that they're, that they're able to do. But with my movie, you get to see these celestial beings kind of figuring out where they are able to fit into it. And you get Camille Nanjiani with his comedic chops and you get an Angelina Jolie who's a fantastic actress and Kit Harrington is oh so great and you guys this just the cast as it's forming together while we might not know what there is to come it's that mystery is what's going to make it more exciting we know what we're going to get from another Doctor Strange movie it's just going to have a horror tent and that's really not that exciting of a movie time alright so uh, Scully time begins when you start talking for your closing putting actors on a cast list is one name Having characters that you know and love and you've seen in previous movies, that's a whole different thing. It'd be one thing if Elizabeth Olsen was just tacked onto this without having played Scarlet Witch at all, but you're excited because she's just an interesting actress. No, Elizabeth Olsen is playing one of the most badass, probably one of the most powerful MCU characters. And putting her in this setting with Doctor Strange and with Wong and this whole Scott Derrickson mystical universe, that is irresistible to me and a lot of other MCU fans. You talk about Eternals, Yes, you have all these great A-list actors on a screen, on, 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 on a cast list, but we don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea where we're going to come from. And yes, mystery can be exciting, but when you have no plot details, when you have no idea of where these characters are coming from. Look, Guardians of the Galaxy was one thing, but you knew that you knew the second Avengers ended. That, that was where the next step was. With, with Eternals, it just seems like another add-on to the whole cosmic universe. All right, time. Okay, so I'll go ahead and I'll go first on this one. Um, this was actually quite close. There's some zingers thrown back and forth, and I'm a guy who likes zingers. So uh, I I think Joe had a lot of really great zingers, but I think I, I think in the closings and sort of in the second half of that fight, Thomas was able to fight back enough for me to give me a couple points in defense of Scott Derrickson and the choice in like why we would be more excited for Doctor Strange to sell me on that more than Joe was able to sell me on Eternals. So by the slimmest of margins, I give my point to Thomas. Uh, so we'll go to Cody. Uh, no slightest of margins here. I got to go Scully. Um, basically, the question is what I should be excited about. Uh, we talked about Doctor Strange a ton. We talked about uh, 
why he's bad, why he's great. But internals was in the back burner. And normally in a fight, you don't want to bring up your point because you don't want it to be attacked. But you got to paint me the picture why we're excited for it. And I think Joe even knew that because in his closing, he switched gears and was like, my characters, they're here. This is going to be exciting. But it was a little too late. So uh, Thomas just, uh, Doctor Strange controlled the entire fight. So uh, Thomas gets my point. All right, so Thomas gets the next point. Bowman, you didn't get a say. Uh, very quickly, where would you have gone and why? I would have agreed. There just wasn't enough about Eternals. All right, cool. So we'll go to the... All right, so we'll get to the third fight. We're all tied up at one cool. apiece. The last prep round fight is... Who is the worst Batman villain to be put to screen? Uh, Thomas, you'll be going first on this one. Time begins when you start talking. So, so look, there have been a lot of bad Batman villains put on the screen. There have been a lot of really mediocre ones, but I think the worst one has got to be Poison Ivy. Hands down, all I see Poison Ivy as, she's a knockoff Catwoman. She's another Batman-obsessed femme, femme fatale who ultimately, her goal is to get in Batman's suit. They're really, like, yeah, she's kind of dastardly. She's kind of dangerous. She's got okay-looking powers. But bottom line, she's a knockoff Catwoman. She doesn't bring any sort of, like, villainous value. She doesn't, like, besides her semi-interesting origin, she really doesn't bring a whole lot to the, 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 the whole Batman universe. So Poison Ivy is hands down the worst Batman villain put to screen. All right, uh, Joe, your opening begins when you start talking. So I decided to go with the animated route, and I decided to go with a villain that is called the Condiment King just for the fact that he is nothing more than a silly, campy villain that has no major threat to anyone other than he's cool, he's he's quirky, and he's, he's a silly villain that really just doesn't really belong being put into any iteration of batman rather it be animated or live action and the fact that he was only even in an animated film is just the fact that that he can't even and he couldn't even do well there he was just a throwaway villain and a throwaway side character that was just like i, I have mustard and ketchup to shoot at you batman <laughs> and he's he's supposed to be just a is He's a Riddler redux that just is less interesting than the Riddler because he's not funny and he only uses condiments, as his name even says. And so such a stupid character to put on screen that why would you even want it on screen ever? All right. Five-minute freeform begins. You guys start talking. Look, you bring up how he's a Riddler redux. At least the Riddler, he's supposed to be taken seriously, and he delivers much of the time. With the Condiment King – Tell me with the straight face that the Condiment King is supposed to be taken seriously. I mean, really, ketchup, mustard, giving like like, like uh, weird puns and, and zingers at Batman. Really tell me, other than the fact that his ketchup can maybe give you anaphylactic shock, there's really no threat to Condiment King. At least with Poison Ivy, she's supposed to be a major threat. She's supposed to poison you. She's supposed to tangle you in vines. She's supposed to choke you to death. She's supposed to give you a deadly kiss like we've seen in Batman and Robin with those stupid rubber lips. She's supposed to be a major threat. But she just can. She just is just so bad. At least with the Condiment King, he's funny. He's entertaining because he's so silly. Because he brings that campiness that you remember from from the original Batman series, from the from from the movie Batman sixty six. Condiment King is absurd. He's silly. Poison Ivy tries to be serious, but she falls flat on her face every single time. But the whole thing is, and going with it, is you want at least somewhat of a threatening villain in a Batman movie, in a Batman movie. And as you just said, the Condiment King isn't threatening at all. There's 
no risk. There's no stakes with having the condiment king in a movie. So by there, there you just are putting him in a movie just for the sake of comic relief. That isn't really what the point of a like major Batman villain is. You can have like a throwaway thug character be that, but to have someone who's a powered villain be that. And while you say that, while Uma Thurman is, and Batman and Robin might not have been as serious, she's not the worst Batman villain to ever be put on screen. She's not even the worst Batman villain to be put on screen in your movie. The Iceman and Bane both, Mr. Freeze and and Bane both are worst villains. You didn't even pick the worst villain in your own movie to be put on screen. But all those, all three of those are still better choices than the Condiment King, who's just a silly, campy villain. And while, yes, it wasn't an animated movie that was also supposed to be campy and silly, it just, it means it's so much more camp and silliness than you even need in something that is supposed to be a Batman 66 animated version. Compared to those other villains, the Batman and Robin, Poison Ivy is is la is laughable as a villain. At, 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 at least with Vane, he's this big, strong character. He has to be he ha he has to be taken seriously. He's this big, macho Mexican guy, Mister Freeze. Yes, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's still dangerous. He can still freeze you. Do you know what happens when you're completely frozen? You could die. Poison Ivy really like she, yeah, she puts them in dangerous situations. But she never really goes in for the kill. All she really wants is to get inside Batman's pants. She's obsessed with Bruce Wayne. She, she, it, it, it's almost like she doesn't even want to kill them. She just wants to toy around with them. And yeah, let, like that, that's that's just not a good villain. You're that actually is a good villain. A villain that really just wants to toy around with their enemies is very much more interested than someone who just wanting to go straight for the kill. And, but even with the Condiment King, you can't even say that he's trying to play around with them because he's just not even that serious, and he doesn't even have a power set to even belong taking up against this. With at least with Poison Ivy, with her trying to you know seduce Bruce Wayne while her motives, while not wanting to kill them, you might not like. But that's an actual interesting take and an interesting point of view for a villain to have is to, you know, not really want to kill the enemy, but kind of want to sway them to their side or control them in a way that we haven't seen before. With the Condiment King, you just get some quirky, zany, fun action pieces that are campy and fun. But with... With, with Poison Ivy, you can see that there's more depth to this character. While the performance might not have been as good, it's not. That's a performance. That's not the villain. That's not the character itself. And that's what we're really talking about here. Poison Ivy has zero depth whatsoever. I mean, look at Batman Robin. She killed Nora Freeze for no other, for, for for no other reason except that she was maybe jealous. She was also unnecessarily dickish towards Mister Freeze. That's that, that's not being a villain. That's just being a dick. And look with the Condiment King. Villains don't have to be major threats. Look at Nico Suave Rigoli. He's not a major threat, but he's still considered a villain in in, in, in this community. With the, the Condiment King is just so campy. He's funny. He he, he One gives minute. Pun, he, he gives puns. It, it, you just can't help but laugh at him. You can't help but think of him as, as a little puppy. Pat him on the head and just send him on his way. Villains but really don't have to be again, that major. Not like the Condiment King because the Condiment King is at least is is at least not even less of a threat than Nico. Nico can be a threat at times if he wants, but that's regardless of the point. But here's the thing: with the Condiment King, you just get a campy villain that isn't 
even that's so much more laughable while you think poison Li ivy is laughable it's not her as a character that's laughable it's uma thurman's performance that is really laughable yes she is a dangerous villain whose motivations of jealousy while you may think are surface level that's something that can drive someone is jealousy to do them to do crazy things like murder people we've seen it in other things in iterations of 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 things and just because the performance of poison ivy is bad does not mean she's the worst villain to be put on screen it's a it's a bad performance and all right so we're gonna go ahead we're gonna go to joe first for your closing one minute when you start talking and if we were going to just straight up talk about performances yes you would probably have this match but that's not the argument the, the, the to have this fix the argument is the worst villain the worst villain to be to be adapted and it is the condiment king because the condiment king as i've been said and he's you put out he's not a threat he's not threatening there's no stakes with having him as a villain with poison ivy there at least is stakes even in that movie she's tearing batman and robin apart you can see that kind of deteriorating and you can see that she's actually a threat to them to the dynamic duel itself but with the condiment king he's not a threat to either batman or robin he's not a threat to anyone he's just there for to be kooky to be fun and to be taken down easily not a threat at all, but with Poison Ivy, she is at least a threat to people and her motivations, while you sure. think are shallow, at least have something in our in-depth. Well, you can't even really even see what the Condiment King's motivations are. Oh, he just wants to have fun. It's, it's a Joker and Riddler Redux that is not interesting at all. But with Poison Ivy, it's at least an interesting character that had a bad performance. All right. Uh, Thomas, one minute for your closing when you start talking. What's worse to me than a villain who has absolutely just just nothing but pun value whatsoever is a character is a villain that at least tries to be menacing but just falls flat on their face you brought up how 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 um poison ivy tries to pit batman and robin against each other i mean really that's just such a that's such a lazy motive to try and get what you want yeah let, let, let let's pit the heroes against each other you want to know how many times that's been done in a comic book setting there are uh, you, you can count on all the fingers on all the hands and on the wall how many times they've tried to pit heroes against each other for their villainous schemes it is such a lazy cop-out and poison ivy just does this every time tries to pit batman and robin against each other at least with your villain he's funny he's he is his he is hysterical because He's not funny because he's bad. He's funny because you just know he's going to fail. This is Poison Ivy. You're worried that she might succeed. And if you do, and if she does succeed, you'll be just so disappointed that she actually got away with it. All right, time. We are going to go ahead and go to Boatman first on this one. Where are you leaning and why? Um, I, I think I got to give it to Joe because I think Tull Scully got a little too bogged down in other arguments with uh, – the movies and Batman and Robin, Joe always kept it on the actual character. He fought the question. I think Scully kind of uh, got off into other directions, whereas uh, Joe focused on what the actual question was. All right. So that's one more point over to Joe. Cody, where are you leaning and why? Uh, everybody want to realize that Boatman's the biggest heel in the community, votes against his partner in crime. What a douche. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm going with Joe, too. Uh, I think Joe it's fought the question. Uh, got he Joe kind of pulled a maneuver for my uh, liking uh, out of my playbook. Uh, put them on the back foot, make them uh, fight a fight you want to fight, and get them distracted. So well done, Joe. Uh, Joe gets my point on this one. All 
Absolutely, whatever. Agreed. So Joe is up to one as we get into the speed round. Also, guys, let's not say Nico's name too many times. He'll show up like the you Candyman. You say it too many call. times, he appears. That's yeah, why exactly. I the Candyman. Candyman. You say it five, five times, times, the Candyman will show up. up. He will show up. But maybe it's six. I don't know. Uh, he's but, working on a costume now. Like, you do not want to. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. I All think right, it's inspired so by Tootsie. I'm not sure. But oh, I'm pretty sure Buffalo Bill from fine. <laughs> All right, well, yikes. Let's move on to the speed round. Your first speed round question, how it's going to work. Cody, you want to tell them how the speed round uh, works? For yeah, so basically how it's going to work. We don't do like battleground rules. We will say the question once. Everybody seems to have a good connection tonight. So we'll say the question. The first person to say it will go first. person after that will be the one following. You'll get a 40-second followed by a 30-second. So, um, again, make your time count. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So if you we hear you first, right. you're going first. All right, we hear you first, you're going first. Your first speed round question is in Star Trek, and it is, what is the worst Star Trek movie? Oh, hands Star down, Trek. it's hands down Star Trek Generations. Look, it, it's a great idea to try. We just need to pick. Just need to pick. Oh, just sorry. Pick. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So you got Generations, Joe. What are you arguing? Voyage Home. Voyage Home. All right. Generations versus the Voyage Home. All right, so Thomas, you'll be going first 40 seconds when you start talking. Look, it, it's a great idea to try and, and pit the old and, and, and the new, but really, we only see per, we, we only see Captain Kirk for, what, 20 minutes in this whole movie? And then they kill him off in, like, the absolute worst way possible, alienate him from all of his uh, all, all, all of his friends and, and, and his shipmates, and it's such a horrible introduction to the next generation cast members. Next Generation was a great TV show, and to have that be the introduction, have a really one-dimensional villain in Dr. Soren, have that be their first encounter in a movie, is an absolute travesty. It is hands down the worst Star Trek film, and it is the worst Star Trek film. Alright, Joe, 40 seconds when you start talking. Listen, as I've said before, the best part of Star Trek V, The Voyage Home, is not even in Star Trek V, The Voyage Home. It is a robot chicken sketch where the blue whales are happy that they get to save the world again. And that is it. The blue whales saving the Earth is not really interesting when, when Star Trek is supposed to be about exploring the galaxy and exploring places. And we're just going to go back to Earth and we're just going to take some blue whales to save the future. Earth. That really isn't like Star Trek. You could have called it Earth Trek because that's all they're doing is they're trekking through Earth throughout time and it's not in the the most memorable part of it has been done better and parodies of it with at least with and that's just why it's it's so bad that there's parodies of the movie are even better than it all right stopping a little early all right scully your battle begins when you start talking look yes the voyage home focuses mainly on earth but it's such an endearing story to try and save earth in the future that's a it, it, it's it's a rich it's a rich compelling story and you see the humanity and not only captain kirk but in Spock as well. With Generations, none of the characters that are introduced have even the the, the slightest bit of emotion. They're just emotionless performances and just a terrible movie. Time. All right. Joe, your rebuttal begins when you start talking. Well, you may say it's an endearing story. That's the, the the movie is called Star Trek, and when you're talking about Star Trek, it needs to be about exploring the galaxy. While with Generations, while you may see these in characters are introduced that are one-dimensional the fact is that we're still getting introductions to characters and we're getting to see an exploration of the galaxy as further with the voyage home you just get to stay on earth for for two hours for no reason time all right i'll go ahead and go first um i'm gonna give my point to thomas on this one i think uh i think thomas was able to defend or at least defend voyage home while also attacking generations uh, i didn't hear enough of a defense for generations and joe kind of got caught up on like 
parodies rather than the movie, whereas uh, and Scully was able to kind of uh, defend his movie enough for me, so I'm going to go with uh, Scully. Uh, Cody, where are you leaning and why? Uh, yeah, I have to agree with Scully. Scully actually to, uh, said stuff about the movie. Um, his was basically with Star Trek and we're on Earth, but there's a lot of Star Trek movies that feature on different planets. They chose Earth. That's not a big deal for me, but Generations does suck hot garbage. All right, so Scully is next point. We're tied. We're going to the last one. Uh, Bowman, real quickly, where would you have leaned in and why? Uh, Scully, for all the reasons you guys said. Cool. All right, Not so the, the worst one. first, uh, the next generation movie at all. Not the worst. All right, so we're moving to your last question, which is in the category of DreamWorks Animation, and your question is thus. Besides the Shrek films, what is the best DreamWorks film from the 2000s? Monsters vs. Aliens. All right. Kung Fu Panda. All right. Monsters vs. Aliens versus Kung Fu Panda. Uh, Thomas, you talk first. So 40 seconds where you start talking. Monsters vs. Aliens is just a fun, fun, fun movie in general. You see this woman who on her one day, she gets hit by an asteroid, and she's immersed in this world of of, of, of government and with aliens. She has to work towards these aliens to defeat this massive intergalactic threat. It's a fun two-hour animated comedy. You, you, you have a lot of fun. You have a lot of funny voices. You have Rain Wilson. You have Seth Rogen. You have Reese Witherspoon all lending their voices to this really, really fun two-hour action comedy. It's awesome. All right. Conceding a lot of time there, Joe. Uh, 40 seconds when you start talking. With Kung Fu Panda, you get a really heartfelt story of a guy who's – of Poe the Panda who he's just trying to – he doesn't really know where he fits in. He wants to be more than he is just working in his dad's noodle shop. And then he gets this whole entire destiny thrust upon him as the Dragon Warrior, and he has to work through – be becoming the dragon warrior when nobody even the people the, the the furious five who are supposed to be kind of helping him with his training they don't think he should be the dragon warrior neither does neither does shifu and he kind of has to come into this own element and defend the valley of peace and it's kind of this very heartwarming story of discovering your own identity and being more than just what society says you have to be all right time all right your rebuttal your rebuttal skelly begins when you start talking Yes, Kung Fu Panda is an endearing story, but it's the classic, oh, they think I can't do it, but really I can do it, but I don't think I can do it, but then I actually do it in the end. We, we've seen that in movies so many times. times. With Monster vs. Alien, this is about a a, a woman in, in this position who can actually who actually has super strength. She, she can fight. She teams up with these aliens to do all these amazing things. Kung Fu Panda is, is just another like hero story. Time. All right. Uh, Joe, your rebuttal when you start talking. With Monsters vs. Aliens, while it's a cool little fun action story, there's really not much to it other than, oh, I was hit on my wedding day and now I'm a monster and I don't know how to deal with it. And she comes to terms with it throughout the story, which, fine, whatever. But with Kung Fu Panda, he's really having to figure out who he is as a person, as, as this warrior. And when he's able to come through at the end and then people realize he is more than what they thought he was, it is beautiful and heartwarming and amazing. Time. All right. We're going to go to Cody first on this one. Where are you leaning in? Why? I'm leaning Joe. I think Joe had the better argument about overall. Um, the I think Thomas conceded too much of his time at the end, at the beginning, and he kept saying fun. But I needed more than fun. I needed why it was the best. And um, at least Joe painted the picture. All right, we're gonna go to Boatman. Where are you leaning and why? I also got to go with Joe. I, I think 
uh, throw hit on the emotional aspect as well as the fun aspect. I think Thomas just kept bringing up the fun. I, I, I hate to vote against my team partner, but I got it. All right. Well, uh, I would have agreed. And with that, our winner tonight is Joe Harrison in the debate on the last question. Uh, solid debate from both guys. We'll go real quickly and get our thoughts from Joe. You won tonight. How do you feel? I mean, I feel great. Like, uh, like personally, like I had a, I had a rough day. I lost both of my jobs. So to be able to come out with the win in this just small victory for me. So like, like I'm tearing up right now. Cause like, I just needed a win today. And like, this is, this is like great for me. Thomas was a great competitor. I, I honestly, I thought he had me in the speed round, but so to be able to pull this out was amazing. And th Thomas, you're a great guy. I, I love you. You're a great competitor. You had me on the ropes for most of the match. And like, this was just a great debut for both of us, I think. Uh, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, you got your win here today. Is there anyone you're looking forward to maybe debating in the future of Nergasm? Uh, I, I I, mean, Alec, who was supposed to be here, I thought that would have been a fun triple threat match with Alec in here. So I, I would look forward to playing Alec Miller in the future. I think that would be a fun match. Uh, absolutely. We'll see what we can do. We'll go over to our unfortunate loser today, Thomas Skelly. Uh, you played a great debate still today. It just came down to the last, last question. Uh, how do you feel? I, I feel fine. I mean, I definitely hit on what, like the MCU and, and Star Trek ones. I think I think I I, I I have a deep, thorough basis of knowledge there, so I'm pretty happy I won those. Um, I just flopped on, on the last question. Uh, I probably should have chosen Kung Fu Panda, uh, to be honest. But Monster um, Science was the first one that, that came to mind, so I kind of flopped there. Congrats to Joe again. Rough day for him. Really glad he pulled out this win. He needed to win today. So awesome job, buddy. Um, absolutely. All right. Uh, so that is, is there anyone I'll say this real quick. Is there anyone, even though you lost today, you did fight really well. Is there anyone you want to try and play next to try and get that win? Uh, you know, I mean, I'll, uh, I, oh, I do, man. I do, I do oh, definitely. Man. Oh man. No, uh, I <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure, uh, debating, Debating oh, Bowman, I'm pretty sure debating Bowman would be uh, suicide. But yeah, I mean that'd be fun. I mean partner yeah, no, versus, I'm, partner, I'm, versus partner. Um, but yeah, I mean, anyone you got, I'll face them. This was fun. I want to come back uh, and do it again. Um, absolutely. But we'll go ahead. We'll go real quickly to our judges. Uh, we'll start with Bowman. Uh, how do you feel about the debate? Uh, and anything you want to say before we wrap it up? Yeah, no, uh, it was a good debate. I think both competitors are still kind of getting into the whole debating thing. So I think there were a few steps where it's like, oh, yeah, I should have thought of that. should have thought of that. And that's what just happens in debate. That's that's a normal thing. No, no. I, I And Cody's just making – Cody, just go to Cody. Go to Cody. It's not you. It's not you. Joe's dad showed up again. I was oh. saying, that's all I was saying. <laughs> Dale Harris is officially he's, – he's, he's canon in the fan community now. He's canon in multiplex officially. Um, all right, but we will go to Cody. Any thoughts or things you want to say before we wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, uh, this is a fun match. I think both of these players playing somebody else. That's going to be a different story. Thomas wouldn't ha shouldn't have to wait too long because I think I'm stepping in the ring of Nergasm, and I would like to play Thomas. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. I'm not debating <laughs> at all. <with> Nergasm. <laughs> I wanted to see his least reaction. Uh, no, this is a good thing. I, I want to see Thomas back. Because I think Thomas is literally, when it comes down to court geek uh, in the fan leagues, I think he is literally in the top five. Um, so I'd like to see him debate more, especially about geek-related stuff. Um, 
And Joe, Joe proved it. Um, Joe's been around in a few of these debate leagues. He's judged. I haven't seen the best performance of Joe in debate at this point, but I think this was a real uh, show up uh, for his uh, his ability. And I'm excited because now he's 1-0, and and he'll go against another 1-0, and which could be Boatman. It could be somebody that won out of the triple threat. So it would be an exciting uh, match. So, again, if you want to win an orgasm, you got to prep. That's basically what's saying, and I don't say uh, speed rounds are the rough, the the Achilles heel for some people, but I think both shouldn't hang their head. I'm excited to get them both back in the ring. Absolutely, but that's going to do it for us. This has been Nerdgasm. That has been uh, Bowman. That has been Cody. That has been Joe. That has been Scully. Yeah, been and this has been Fanify. Not Fanify. This has been Nerdgasm, and this has been a blast. <laughs> Thanks for watching. We'll see you guys real soon with another great debate.